0: This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. They have to
1: to think that they can reach the expectations of all the other people, of all the fans, of all the press or whatever. So if somebody wants to help LFC, you have to change from doubter to believer. Five years of Jurgen Klopp, Champions League success, Premier League success the building of a modern classic. This is the Blood Red Podcast, courtesy of the Liverpool Echo, as we look back on Klopp's five-year reign to date, from also rounds to uncatchables. We'll look back on the memorable matches, the achievements, the signings, and so much more. Besides, I'm Guy Clark, alongside me to reminisce and maybe even worship our three wise men, Paul Gorst, Joe Rimmer and Sean Bradbury. How are we, gentlemen? Not bad, not
2: bad, guy. Yeah, looking forward to getting stuck into this one. Can't believe it's been five years since uh, the normal one from Black Forest walk into Anfield and uh, got cracking to flown over.
3: Sean, what have you made of the five years? Ah, uh, yeah, no, it's 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 a strange one. Like you know, in, in some respects, it feels like it's gone on a flash, and you know, he's he's turned the club round from, they like say, also runs club that weren't really kind of winning anything into been absolutely at the at the top of the pops but then yeah, in some respects it feels like it's taken a little while to put his team together and all that, so yeah, it's going to be good fun digging into it Yeah, and there has been some journey along the way, hasn't it Joe?
0: It has, yeah, it has it does feel like yesterday when he walked through the doors of Anfield and held that first press conference, but like Sean says, you know on one sense, yeah, it does, it does feel like yesterday when he did that, but then it does seem to have been a little bit of a slow process, but Here we are, Premier League champions, world champions, and not long ago European champions. So he's not done a bad job.
1: No, he certainly hasn't done a bad job. As I said, we'll look back through sort of the, the moments, the matches, and the signings as well. But Gorsley, before we get into even Jurgen Klopp's reign, Obviously, before he came in, Brendan Rodgers had to go after that draw with Everton. It had obviously been a close run thing in 2014, the year after things went quite stale and therefore then badly wrong. But when Liverpool were getting Jurgen Klopp in, what was your sort of emotion, your feeling at the time with this guy who'd won two Bundesligas coming in to Anfield?
2: I think at the time, I thought Liverpool were probably lucky to be getting him because um, he was... Um, even back then five years ago he was kind of renowned as one of the most progressive forward thinking coaches in europe wasn't he was well, probably one of the most um well he was still in his 40s at the time you know a bright young coach with um certain ideas that were proven to be successful with dortmund he obviously broke dubai munich strangled Hull in the bundesliga and, and won back to back bundesliga titles there and then kind of came to european prominence a little bit later on when that run to the champions league final when they were beaten by Bayern and um, kept seeing his, his top players poached by Bayern, wasn't he? And, and time and again, he, he kept coming back and um, he just kind of grew his reputation from there. So at the time, Liverpool were 10th in the Premier League. The, the whole kind of structure of the club was a bit of a mess, really, with Brendan Rodgers and, and the infamous transfer committee, never really seeing eye-to-eye on players and the recruitment was so skewed that it had Liverpool in a in a bit of a mess. Um particularly from from the season before when it ended on that note. That six one defeat to Stoke, didn't it? And they kind of just felt that Rogers' run had come to the end that summer. So the fact that Liverpool kind of backed them to the tune of eighty million and then six weeks later they were getting rid of them. They really were in disarray. So they were very lucky to attract the manager of Klopp's Caliber and um, I think the fans always knew it was going to take time. Liverpool fans aren't soft. They knew, they knew it were not going to be an overnight success. Um, they got behind them and then um, slowly but surely there was certainly cause for optimism which um, included runs to the Europa League final and the League Cup final that season.
1: Yeah, Joe, I suppose one of the comforting things maybe about Jurgen Klopp coming in was at the time he was sort of the, the hipster shout, the guy who had Gagan pressing. No one really knew what that was, but more than anything, he had a vision and he had a track record of staying places for a while and implementing a vision, which Liverpool at the time, as Gorski alluded to, were quite clearly lacking.
0: Well, that was it. You know, I think, I think Brendan Rodgers did have a vision when he was at Liverpool, but it was funny how in that final sort of, 10 months of his reign, Rodgers' vision sort of fell apart. And, you know, even that summer, you look at some of his signings and Benteke didn't really seem to fit in with the style of football that Liverpool had played in the past. And and I think Liverpool just needed a reset and they needed someone to come in and have a strong idea and a strong philosophy, and and Klopp had that. And I also think they needed someone with the track record of winning trophies. And I think one thing that always was was difficult for Rodgers is every time he had a bit of a bad patch, People, people would remind him of the fact that he hadn't won trophies. That Liverpool was the first big club that he was at. There Klopp. I remember at the time. I remember when 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 Rodgers went, and the two main contenders for the job were Klopp um, and Ancelotti was the other one mentioned. So Liverpool felt like they were going to get one or one of two managers who had world renowned success. So you know, Klopp immediately came in, and you could just feel the lift in the whole place. You know, you could feel the excitement among fans. and I think Klopp was the type of manager who a lot of fans had kept kept an eye on from afar. You know, his just his attitude and his refreshing style had been something that lots and lots of fans admired of every club. So Liverpool were the envy of many, many clubs when they got Klopp. And um, it's just been a match made in heaven, hasn't it? So, um, yeah, I just think he had every... He had the, the full package of what Liverpool needed in a manager and... Um, so it's so it's turned out because he's been brilliant.
1: Yeah, and of course over 5 years Sean he's had question marks over him and if he would ultimately be able to implement what he has now done at Liverpool but I suppose even from the beginning that first game at Tottenham everybody was in, infatuated with the high press the energy with which Liverpool played and of course early results at, at Stamford Bridge and certainly that 4-1 win at the Etihad as well really I suppose got got the appetite wetted for what was to come even further down the line under Klopp.
3: Yeah, absolutely. As you say started as he as he meant to go on really and straight away you saw all his philosophy implemented. I always remember that that first Spurs game. It felt like they were just running around like madmen, and the, you know they were just trying to trying to kind of do it all at once. But yeah, it soon settled into a, a rhythm. I think just going back to what he was like at the outset, you can maybe draw a, a slight parallel with Benitez in the sense of someone who was proven as a, a league winner in, in one of the top European leagues, and someone who obviously could cut it in European competition. But I think the thing that really stood out to me was the contrast to rogers really in terms of his arrival and it's not to denigrate rogers too much but like joe alluded to he kind of had to talk his way into the stature of the role and almost felt like a a bit of a salesman at times in terms of how he just had to pitch himself to to the fan base or how how he felt he had to do so and maybe he went a little bit too far in terms of trying to tap into the history of the club whereas klopp i think he, he set himself apart from that from from day one really and as you say, with all those games straight away, it looked like he was just trying to write the first chapter of his own Liverpool story. And I think it took it took a bit of confidence to come in and do that. Really, it was quite bold, and given his standing in the game and the fact that, as the guys have said, Liverpool had to pursue him and convince him to cut that sabbatical short and, and jump in with the Reds quite soon after leaving Dortmund. It yeah gave him the extra bit of confidence to do that. And I, I think I, I always think he was quite bold when he when he first arrived in terms of just his cultural transformation of the club and the kind of psychology of what he wanted to imprint on the place and and make that connection live again between fans and the other strands of the club because you know that that doubt is the believers line obviously which is was the famous one from his press conference I think it's what almost gets lost in that is that he's you know he is saying that there were, there were doubters he's almost been slightly critical of the, of the fans and the malaise that the club maybe had fallen into a bit as the Hicks and Gillette memories kind of began to fade and all that type of thing. So, yeah, I just think the way he kind of swaggered into the club and um, some of the things he did in his first few months really, really set an impression. And, uh, yeah, those, those games certainly helped as well at the start.
1: Yeah, in
3: that first sort of
1: just over half a season, Gorsty reaches two cup finals, the League Cup final, the Europa League final. He beats Man City home and away in the league, a 4-0 win over Everton in the derby. It was sort of setting out the intention right from the off.
2: Yeah, I think the first kind of um game that made sit up and take note that his messages and his ideas was starting to to come across was against Chelsea. I think it was might have been the thirty first of October. Um, I think they went to Chelsea, went went a goal behind early on, and ended up winning three one. Coutinho had a great game. lana played well. I think Benteke, um I think he had a good game, and just started to get the feeling that something was stirring. And then that game at the Etihad when Liverpool absolutely hammered City out of sight and um, some of the football he played that day and it was an interesting one because he, he was starting to rely a lot less on Daniel Sturridge who many people still pegged as one of Liverpool's best players at the time he moved Firmino you know, into that you know false nine role that it was at the, the time and um, started to kind of transform the team and then, then they were you know could have easily went their way in the league final the clock could have been celebrating the trophy within six months of his arrival at Liverpool and then had things gone differently in, in Basel he could have easily have got into the Champions League a lot sooner than anticipated. So there were very kind of early shoots of progress and things to kind of look at and think this something's happening here with this Liverpool team and, and they can go somewhere and then I think once he got, you know, a first and in the wonder's belt and then cracked on from there, that's when the the um, the project really started to,
1: to gather uh, pace. For those listening to the podcast, they won't get this, but Sean, that wasn't wine, was it? That was just cordial. <laughs>
0: Looks like a glass of rose, does not it? Just a, just
3: a bit of cordial. Yeah, I don't know. Just, just saying cheers to you, yeah. you know, I like, <laughs> just uh, did
0: cher- cherries and berries from Aston that is for
3: any Aston
0: fan. Lord Red, those desperate housewives. Yeah, brilliant. Um, <laughs> Sean, this is a glass of rose. Talking <laughs> of,
1: of reasons, then, to to put a toast to, to Jurgen Klopp, let's talk of some of those memorable matches and uh. Joe, even from sort of in that first season, Gorsty speaking about the Chelsea game, the Man City game, there was that crazy 5-4 away at Norwich. But even obviously more recently, the European Knights against Dortmund in the run to the final, obviously in Basel against uh, Sevilla. And of course, we, we can't not talk about the, the 4-0 over uh, Barcelona en route to, to winning the Champions League. The amount of matches that are so memorable just sort of uh, roll off the tongue.
0: Yeah, especially early on, it, it always felt like Klopp would have a big result, like the, the Chelsea or the Man City game that you've mentioned, or Dortmund. And then that would be balanced out with a, a pretty poor defeat. So the defeats at Crystal Palace, um, you know, games like that that sort of brought you back down to earth and it, and it showed Liverpool's teething problems as they tried to get to grips with Klopp's style. And, and as Gorsey said earlier, uh, quite often they would you know, you think that they had players that Christian Benteke, who didn't do badly in Klopp's first season. I don't think people should forget that. You know, he he scored a few goals, conducted himself well, um, but just didn't fit into the style of football whatsoever, really. Um, And Daniel Sturridge was the same to an extent, although he stuck around the wild longer. But, you know, he started a lot of games that year, but just even in the, you know, in the Europa League final, but it didn't really feel like he fit into the style of football that Klopp wants to play. So it, it took him a while to get to grips with things, but... Uh, you know, when it all comes together, um, Klopp's teams just, you know, they, they can blow teams away and I think that's why we've had so many, you know, memorable, memorable occasions with them because, you know, it depends, you know, it doesn't matter who the opposition is when Liverpool come up against them, there's so many teams that can't can't live with Liverpool style and Klopp style, so um, it's made for many memorable occasions and, you know, just before we move on, I was at that um, European final in, in Basel and... Um, you know, it was it was really, really disappointing. You know, looking back now, it's devastated to lose that. Um, you know, it felt like Liverpool were in so so much control at half-time and then it all fell away in the second half. And Liverpool got a little bit of a lesson on how far they needed to come. But I wonder now, looking back, whether it was almost a good thing for Liverpool because the next season they obviously did well, got into the top four and, and qualified for the Champions League. And, you know, maybe maybe it would have accelerated the progress, but... Maybe it would have been difficult for Liverpool to cope to be in the Champions League the following season. They weren't quite there under Klopp yet. So, um, you know, perhaps it was almost a blessing that they lost that game because it gave them more time to develop, gave him more time on the training pitch uh, to get his team playing. So, um might look back at that and think, you know what, it was a blessing in disguise.
1: Yeah, we'll get into the, the signings as well shortly as well, but... Gorsty, come to you first on sort of that, that Europa League final and actually on Joe's point of whether it may have been a blessing? Because Jurgen Klopp was loyal to the, the group of players that he inherited when he came in. That first January, Stephen Caulker aside, and I think obviously Marco Grujic, who didn't really feature, and Kamil Grabara were the only players to come in. If Liverpool had maybe won that Europa League final, maybe would have felt the need to be maybe more loyal to those players who'd got Liverpool back in the Champions League.
2: Yeah, quite possibly. But I think his mind was made up in certain areas. I think he knew he wanted more pace in his attack, which is why Sadio Mane was targeted. And I think Liverpool, if they obviously got back into the Champions League, they would have known a lot more about the the, the budget. And they might have even been able to kind of speed up that, that process because um, had they got into the Champions League, then who knows, maybe a Mohamed Salah would have arrived 12 months earlier than he did. But um, yeah, I think... I, I do think that result was um, was massive at the time in terms of setting Liverpool back um, a year because you know on the basis of one one game Liverpool could have been back in the Champions League and celebrating everything that comes along with that from a sportive point of view, from a club point of view, and um, that would have really put them on the path a lot quicker. Um, as it turned out, it, would, it meant that Liverpool wouldn't wouldn't have European football for the following season, which Um, in a way did help them get back into the Champions League because um, Liverpool's record that season against their fellow top six rivals the following season was fantastic. Um, And they ended up getting in there on on the final day of the season, as we remember, against Middlesbrough. um, It it was almost like a possibly a bit of a sliding doors moment, but I don't think looking back now, um, anyone would kind of have wished it to have gone any differently because... That kind of set up the march for, for Kiev from there on in. And
1: um, that was kind of the, the building bricks for everything that we see today, I think. Yeah, it really, did, really does feel, looking back at it, that that really was sort of the, the moment, Sean, when everything began to click into gear. And I suppose for Jurgen Klopp, maybe... A wake-up call in many ways as to what he'd actually inherited Liverpool at the time—a football club who weren't getting Champions League football too regularly—and this was a guy who, what three years before this, had taken Munich to a champion uh, Dortmund, sorry, to a Champions League final against Bayern Munich at, at Wembley. There was
3: an awful long way for him still to go. Uh, absolutely, yeah, and I, I think the points that everyone's made are, are, are spot on. You know, he's he's someone who is able to draw lessons from defeats as as much as victories. Really, that the Basel is is, a, is an obvious one. Kiev's a massive one as well. I mean, you know, reading uh, Andy Robertson's book at the moment and it really shines through in that, and from what players have said since then, and what Klopp and staff have said, how much they made that a motivation to you know to to not repeat that again. Um just go back to some of the earlier games while we while we're still on on this point. I think like that Palace game in the November was it of his of his first season when. Liverpool lost 2-1 and you know people were streaming out of Anfield on 82 minutes. You know, uh, he came out after that and made that quite pointed comment about I never felt so alone. Um which you know obviously the words quite loaded with meaning knowing Liverpool's anthem you never walk alone and again it showed that he he had the gravitas to kind of criticise behaviour around the club and and, and supporters and, and and learn a lesson from it. So yeah, I think I think all of those have have contributed to the the kind of
1: journey that, that he's taken Liverpool on in these five years. Yeah, it has been a, a brilliant journey as well. And, of course, I suppose, Joe, worth mentioning the, the 2-2 with West Brom and the final whistle then?
0: Yeah, it's, it's the moment that people often throw at Liverpool and, and laugh at them. But I think anyone outside the club perhaps doesn't quite understand the meaning of that because it did connect directly with what Sean was saying there. And, um, you know, he talked about feeling alone. Um, at that Crystal Palace game when they were 2-1 down. And Liverpool 2-1 down to West Brom and, and ended up pulling a late one back. I think Origi's shot was deflected and, and drew the game 2-2. And it was it was just Klopp showing and showing the players and showing the supporters that that's what we can do. You know, games aren't over until we say they're over. And that something he said a lot. So, you know, fans, opposition fans often try and laugh at Liverpool for that, but they just don't get it. You know, it, it's not it wasn't Liverpool celebrating a point against West Brom. It was Klopp celebrating and showing the fans we need you. And, um, you know, well, other clubs might laugh, but look at what the fans have done since then. You know, would Barcelona have been possible without the fans? Would would, um, Dortmund have been possible? Uh, Would Man City have been possible? You know, would winning the trophies that Liverpool have won? Would any of them have been possible without the fans? I really doubt it. And we're saying this season, they're going to have to try and do it without them. And, Liverpool will lose that extra edge. So, I think um, I think that was an important moment, um, and I think it was it was just Klopp underlining a key part of his philosophy. And he's he's bought in and he's he's used the fans as an extra weapon, if you like, at Liverpool, um, which is something I think Brendan Rodgers just couldn't quite do. And as we talked about earlier, because of that perhaps complex of always trying to prove himself, Rodgers couldn't do it. Whereas Klopp was confident enough in himself to early on call the fans out like Sean said and and, and look what happened so um, yeah it was a I think it was a seminal moment in his reign that, that West Brom game
3: The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo
0: when he reached that first summer,
1: Gorstein dips into the transfer market for the first time. Of course, we're always quick to lord Michael Edwards and that transfer committee, as you mentioned before, that now isn't sort of derided yet so uh, so richly praised. But that first summer, he brings in Sadio Mane, Joel and Jorginho Wijnaldum, not maybe the, the three biggest names that everybody at the time thought these aren't going to be the guys to take Liverpool right to the top, but it's it's been the way it's played out.
2: Yeah, well, as, as as you say, it's it's not been an overnight success, as it were. <clears throat> They've come in, flops come in, and FCF backed them with kind of war that other clubs might might get. It. It's very much been slow and steady over the last five years, and, and um, you know that was kind of the the initial building block of it, wasn't it? When you think of of how important those three players are now to the to the squad, uh, Mane and, and Wayne Aldum in particular start pretty much every game, not Dean. Uh, Mane now for me is, is one of the, the absolute best in the world Matter kind of came in on the back of Klopp's knowledge of the Bundesliga and he was able to find out that he was available on a free and the club trusted his judgement to bring in a, a centre-back on a free transfer um, and Mane through his kind of success at Liverpool was seen as someone who could move to that next level at, at Liverpool and you know he, he's done that tenfold you, you'd suggest as has Wijnaldum he was a little bit more of a um, box-to-box midfield, a little bit more of a, a goal-getter at Newcastle, but um, he's kind of refined his role superbly at Liverpool. And, again, he's another important cog in, in the playing staff. So so that summer of 2016, as much as you look at the likes of Alisson and Van Dijk and Salah coming in across certain years, that summer of 2016 it was massive when, when you look back at, at kind of um, what Liverpool have achieved over the last few years. I mean... Obviously, Carius was not the one who, who's worked out, but he came in for a pretty pretty small fee, really, and, and um, he's he's obviously moved on alone loan, and, and that one hasn't worked out, but the other three have kind of become huge parts of, of what Liverpool have achieved over the last few years.
1: Yeah, certainly, even Ragnar Klavin, he was part of the, the recruitment drive that summer, and Alex Manninger also, the the other player, brought in. But, Sean, I suppose one of the impressive things, certainly about that, summer 2016 recruitment drive from Jurgen Klopp is how the likes of Mane, Wijnaldum and Matip have all been trained on so successfully by Jurgen Klopp and the fact that they weren't the finishing blocks of the Van Dykes, the Alisson's and Fabinho's who came later on in the piece, but they're players who were right and ready for Liverpool at that time and even now have been able to continue to grow with the club.
3: Completely, yeah. And I think Mane, almost more than anyone, embodies that. You know what? One of the first important signings, as we said, and I think he's he's adapted and grown throughout the whole club journey, just as the rest of the club has. You know, obviously started out on one wing, switched to the other. We predominantly see him on the left now, though. We play through the middle when required. But look at him now. I mean, he's, he started the season in, in fine form, just as he did last season. I think you know he arguably it's not an individual thing, is he but some of his contributions early on put Liverpool in such a prime position to to go on and win that league and. You know, obviously, it was it was very unfortunate what happened against uh, Villa this week, but but he was missing, and he's such a key cog to the team that you saw against Arsenal. Just how how complete a player he is now. How he was kind of leading the press. He was so intense and energetic up front, and, and obviously so threatening at the other end, as Chelsea have found out to their cost this season, and, and no doubt plenty more will. But yeah, and it, with regards to your point about training on, I think as well, it's remarkable really. When I was just before we came onto the pod, just thinking about you know. Players who are in the squad now, and and there's actually quite a few, isn't there, who who were there before he came. But um, Milner, obviously a great player, but I certainly didn't think he'd be adaptable or have the kind of longevity he's shown with more than five years at the club now and still an absolute key player. Played the season at fullback, didn't he? Uh, For me, obviously, what wasn't the club signing, there was a bit of a crazy situation around his arrival at the club and who wanted him and how he'd fit in. Um, But it's gone from being potentially a misfit to the linchpin of the attack. Um, yeah, Gomez as well. You know, he, he was there before. Wasn't he? But I think Henderson again is, if if Mane maybe sums up the Klopp era. I think Henderson is someone who's the kind of arc of his Liverpool career really defines probably that last decade, really, doesn't it? And it's just so good to see you know Klopp and him and everyone else at the club doing what they're doing now. He's gone from being a man who potentially could have been, remembered as rightly or wrongly, you know, perhaps unfairly, as someone who would always be in Steven Gerrard's shadow to a. Uh, a leader who's, who's worked with his manager to get the club back to the pinnacle of world football so yeah just everywhere you look in the squad there's there's someone who has been a great piece of recruitment or, or a great bit of training ground development if you like 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 obviously said before maybe you can look at Carrius as one who had not worked but there's been so many hits and, and so few misses
1: yeah, and looking through the list of it as well, Joe, he rarely recruits sort of midway through the season, the likes of Minamino, Van Dijk, and of course, Stephen Kulka aside, it's by and large been the summer recruitment for, really from Jurgen Klopp of, I suppose, bringing the right players in at the right time, whilst the recruitment team have done a brilliant job as a manager, as a coach, he's pieced them into the team at the right time.
0: Absolutely, and of the three that you mentioned, you know, Kulka was an emergency loan, Van Dijk... I think, by all intents and purposes, what they wanted to do the summer before. Everyone remembers what happened there. And Minamino was um, very much a, a sign of Liverpool taking advantage of a clause. So, you know, even even those players, I would argue, perhaps weren't planned by Liverpool to be signed in the January. So, yeah, he does. I think it, it was something he said a while back. He might have even said it at Dortmund. He said that he likes to make a commitment to a group of players at the start of a season that he will work with them throughout the season. And I think all those sorts of things buy into what he does. And, you know, a player knows that if I'm starting the season in the squad, that I'm going to get game time. I'm going to get a chance to to come through any bad, bad form. And it works. So, you know, it's, it's been very interesting how they've slowly planned and added different players along the way. You know, Mane, was, Mane and Wynardham were signings that helped transform the team early doors. And then each summer, they've just put little pieces together and then along the way, they've also signed people like oxlade Chamberlain, who's up on the screen there. But you know, if you think about people like him who were, you know, Liverpool taking advantage of situations. So they're not afraid to to make a signing out the box if they uh, if they feel like it complements the squad. So it's interesting now. You know, now I think it's just about keeping Liverpool there. I think they've they've bought those big players, and and now it's just finding extra players to supplement the squad. But um, you know, each summer you've seen the progress Liverpool will make. You've seen what People give to the style, um, so, um, you know, I think Liverpool's transfer policy is the, again, we talk about the envy of all the other clubs, but I think it is because I think it's so cerebral, it's so thought out. You know, every summer, you know, it, they they planned ahead to know what they need and they tend to get what they want, and um, you know, it's come together magnificently, hasn't it?
1: Of course, when we just see the, the list of the names that Jurgen Klopp has brought to the club, it's absolutely remarkable when you think about it. The amount of players that it hasn't worked out for. Transfers can often be sort of 50-50 hits, whether they're going to work or not. And we know that the recruitment team does such a good job. But Jurgen Klopp is central to that. And so many of those have been great, big, massive hits, not just players who have sort of fixed and made done for, for Liverpool.
2: Yeah, well, if you look at the, the team that started the Champions League final in 2019, you've got Trent Alexander-Arnold, who's obviously an academy, an academy graduate, but uh, has no doubt flourished under Klopp. Um, it's pretty much all his team, isn't it? Obviously, Henderson was already there, Milner come off the bench, but generally, all of those players were, were signed off by Klopp. Um, it's just remarkable, the, the success rate. Um, I remember Jamie Carragher, um, said to me quite recently that he was told by a manager if you get 50% of your signings right then you've done a good job and I think if you went through that list there that was just on the screen you're looking at easily 75 80% of them who you would consider a success I mean I can't think of anyone other than Cl- Paris, um who hasn't worked out I think the jury is probably still out on Nabi Keita, but still, you know, he's still an important part of the Liverpool team and what they're going to be doing going forward. And then the rest are all, you know, Dominic Solanke, there was sold at a massive profit. Ragnar Clavin was solid, dependable, cup price defender. Um, and then you've got the likes of Stephen Corker, it was, it was an interesting one, but he, you know, what did he do, Play three games, I think. Um, you look at the team, now: Fabinho, Van Dijk, um, Tiago. he's going to be another one who you'd expect to be. Massive success, um, Salah. Obviously, Mane. Who we've discussed Wijnaldum, who We've talked about Allison Robertson. They're all huge parts of this Liverpool team. The Premier League champions were European champions up until you know August. Um, it's just been an incredible run in, in the transfer markets, and obviously that's not all down to Klopp, but you know him working alongside the recruitment team. You know, Michael Edwards, Barry Hunter, um, Dave Fallows, Uh, And obviously the the research departments as well who don't really get talked about too much but, you know, are exhaustive in their kind of use of analytics and and the numbers behind everything just to make sure that um, there are no misses in the the transfer markets and more often than not they could have got it right the last four years.
1: Let's then quickly go around and say whether it be for quality, for price, for longevity… Who the best signing for each of you is during the the Jurgen Klopp era at at Liverpool? And uh, Sean, I'll come to you first. You can have first dibs on on this one. Who for you is is the best of the signings?
3: Oh, it's it's difficult, isn't it? I mean, you could you could say Salah. No one hit the ground running like he did. I think Van Dijk or Allison. You could say maybe the truly transformative one that took them to the top level. But as a kind of said before, I, th- I think it's got to be Mane, really, because just he was, he was the first significant outlay. Um, and, and even, you know, a fair bit of money was spent on him, but even some question marks around him then, given where he came from, albeit he'd done quite well at Southampton, you know, there was some suggestions of whether he was good enough to step up at Liverpool and kind of build a side around. But that's exactly what's happened. I think he's, he's pretty much developed as a player, not only in his kind of ability, but in his output, season after season. Um, and, yeah, I, I just think that the, the world's is oyster, really. And it's, you know, it's a privilege to see a lot of them play. But it's been a privilege to see him develop and, and become the player he is. So, yeah, he, he gets the nod for me.
0: Joe, who is it for you? <laughs> what up for you, Joe? We're, both, we're both trying to be polite there. <laughs> to over it. Well, um, it, I honestly think this is the most difficult question. And I've probably been asked it in about 20 different pods. And if someone went back and, and checked my answers, it probably changes every time. So um, Matt, Mane, unbelievable, isn't he? The way he's got better each year. And, and as Sean says, you know, I remember at the time there was a clamour. Everyone wanted um, Mario Goethe, didn't they? So I remember at the time when he turned Liverpool down, they went for Mane. There was a lot of, um, I think if you looked at Twitter now, there'd be a lot of Mickey taking out of Liverpool for paying £30 million for Money. But I don't think those people take the Mickey anymore. For me, it's got to be Van Dyke. I think when you, when you think about the signs that they've made, and you know, like, I know obviously Salah hit the ground running in an unbelievable fashion, but it felt like Van Dyke immediately took the team to a different level. And it, Liverpool went from being top four contenders and a team that could put a little run together to a team that were consistent and a team that were a Champions League and a, and a league contender almost overnight the second he came in. So, you know, and, and you think about what. Surrounded that transfer, the fact that Liverpool almost messed it all up the summer before. That they were competing for him against pretty much every top club in, in England and probably some abroad as well. Um, that they convinced him to come to Liverpool at a time when Liverpool weren't at the very top. And that they paid a fee, which was, you know, when they paid that fee, it, it shocked us all, didn't it, really? Um, £75 million for for a defender had been unheard of. So, you know, it was a risk, wasn't it? So. And, and they also waited six months at a time when they had a lot of defensive issues. They they had some big defeats at City and at Tottenham, and um, got a lot of stick for it. And clock was was, a lot, uh, was faced a lot of criticism for not buying a defender, um, but he waited it out. He got Van Dijk, and he's made a world of difference. So I think I'm going to go for Van Dijk, guy. Uh,
2: I mean, I could have easily have gone with with those two that you've chosen. I could easily go with Alisson as well, who is the, the best goalkeeper I've ever seen at Liverpool. Liverpool were Champions League finalists in 2018 and they were let down by the goalkeeper. A year later, they were European champions because of the goalkeeper. So could easily go for him. But I'm I'm going to go with Salad. I just think he's just a a superstar. You know, Liverpool don't really have superstars in terms of profiles off the pitch. It's more about what they can do on it. And They've kind of achieved that level because of what they've done on the pitch, but I just think he kind of transcends. He kind of transcends all of that off the pitch, and he's just a, an absolute, you know, well-beater on a forty-four goals in his first season, twenty-seven in his second, and, and what was up last season 23, 24. Again, he's he's up to five already this season. He's going to be Liverpool's top scorer again, probably. Um, I think only Sadio Mane will rival him. He's just it's just world class, but. Um, you know how fortunate are we that we can sit city and we could probably pick out another two or three and, and still not come to a kind of um collective agreement because there's so many to choose from so
1: um it, it really is a privilege to kind of watch this liverpool team at the moment and then talking of, and I suppose it's quite poignant, really, that Liverpool, as we go into this international break, have lost 7-2 to Aston Villa, a heavy defeat, that really it is a number of those heavy defeats, Gorsty that early on in Klopp's reign, maybe if you say from that Tottenham game prior to it, that it's maybe a reign of two halves, might be too simplistic to, to put it that way. But the first couple of years under Jurgen Klopp, it was fast frenetic football that Liverpool could dish out some hidings to teams but also they were sometimes on the end of them and then since then since the arrival of Virgil van Dijk, Alisson Becker and the like that now Liverpool have gone on and just sort of sweeped up all of the trophies that they, they possibly could have done.
2: Yeah I think I, I think the game that kind of sums that up was was a severe away in the Champions League when Liverpool were 3-0 up at half time and drew the game 3-3, um, that just w- wouldn't happen anymore, with it? And you look back at uh, the 4-1 defeat against Tottenham in October 2017, was it? That was kind of a little bit of a watershed, and I think probably the efforts were, were stepped up significantly to try and bring Van Dijk in in, in the January after that one. Um, but th- there's no doubt that that was a weakness for Liverpool at times. You know, if they didn't put together... 15, 20 minutes of, of attack and brilliance and blow the, the team knew playing away and um, see the results that they were always susceptible to, to not, not win it. Um, but I don't think that doesn't happen anymore, does it? You know, Sunday was an absolute aberration and embarrassment, and we've spoken about that at length on Monday's pod. But um, I just think now Liverpool are very um, sure-footed. You know, you look at last season, there was a very obvious change in style where Liverpool didn't go out to hammer teams out to sight they kind of got 1-0 up or 2 nil up and, and managed the game from there and, and won by one goal on 14 and 15 different occasions That is very much kind of a style that they're, they're able to do because of the, the back line when it when it kind of it's all in sync and it's kind of you know in tune that, that it does work and, and Liverpool are able to do that whereas once they, they, they definitely weren't
1: yeah for me I suppose what sums up the feeling Joe is that uh, sort of ever since that in, in sort of the last three years since Liverpool have got everything in sort of uh, formation defensively as well and have gone on and swept up these trophies reached two Champions League finals growing up watching the Premier League and seeing unfortunately Manchester United being the dominant side did did you ever feel that this was possible and now Jurgen Klopp has got Liverpool right to the very top they are the team to be shot at <laughs>
0: Yeah, I must admit, you know, yeah, growing up and watching Man United dominate for much of the time. And then when Man United, you know, obviously, you you know, you very well know, Guy, that Arsenal had a couple of of goes, but it never felt like Arsenal could sustain it, whereas Man United was always sustained. You always felt like even if they got knocked off the top for a season, they would come back. And, um, And then the only teams that seemed to be able to break that up were teams that spent millions upon millions of pounds, like Chelsea and Man City. So... There did come to a time when you start thinking, are we cursed? Are we just never going to be able to win this league title? And look, Liverpool fans haven't had a bad time of things. You know, there's been Champions League, there's been FA Cups, there's been League Cups. So, you know, not grumbling on that respect. But, you know, to go and win the league, I thought was so, so difficult because of the expectation, because of the pressure at Liverpool, because of the time they hadn't won it. So, um, for Klopp to do that, I think, and do that in the fashion that he did, um, you know, the amount of points that they 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 managed to get last season, on top of the fact that they fell short in the most heartbreaking fashion last year. Um it's just phenomenal. Um and now I think the challenge is to to do what Man United did and and dominate. And and yeah, and if you fall short for a season, it doesn't make a difference. You still go up the next season and be top contenders again. So you know it, the whole challenge now is to make sure this isn't a flash in the pan. It doesn't look like it's going to be. It looks like they are going to be a top team. Obviously, the the Aston Villa defeat has got a strange complexion on on Liverpool of late because you still want to talk about how good they are, but that's in the back of your mind thinking, how the hell did that happen? But, look, it did, and I think Liverpool will get over it, and I still think they'll be top contenders. But, yeah, I think I'd like to see them go out and dominate and just always be in the hunt for trophies. And even if you finish second, try and get a League Cup in the cabinet, an FA Cup in the cabinet, compete for the Champions League. And um, that's what Man United did for so long. That's what Liverpool did for so long before that. And um, if Liverpool can stay in there, then, you know, it would be be magnificent.
1: That's the thing, isn't it, Sean, is that Jurgen Klopp's brought the good times back. So often we hear from yesteryear of in the 70s and 80s, Liverpool swept up. Oh, that was a brilliant time to support Liverpool. There's a feeling now, having ended that 30-year wait and, and what a way Liverpool did it, that this could be the start of something
3: absolutely yeah I mean I think obviously in the 90s you're absolutely right the the story of the Premier League was United's dominance but I do think like Liverpool kind of kept their hand in a little bit if you like and compared to a lot of other clubs they still had a good time of it some great times in Europe under Julio and Benitez and I think there's almost a bit of a lineage there I think without their achievements you wouldn't have seen Klopp rocking up at with Liverpool without the, the kind of modern footnotes in Liverpool's history that have kept them alive as a, as a, a kind of a club who still have this this value to them and this this kind of aura about them, like, like you say, which does obviously derive from from decades past. But yeah, I think Klopp has he's brought that back and I think the way it really manifests itself is that Liverpool are a destination club once again, um, perhaps more than they've almost ever been in, in their history. And like Thiago getting him in this summer obviously kind of puts the full stop on that and confirms it. You know, he's a, an elite player who the European champions wanted to keep hold of and, and Liverpool took. Well, I think that's borne out as well in the fact that players haven't wanted to leave in recent seasons. You know, when we were talking about all those signings before, I think there was a point a couple of seasons ago before all the success really started to roll in where I, I thought there's no way that Liverpool get all the best years of all of those great players. But that's essentially what's already happened. You know, the, the challenge for Klopp now, I think, uh, to get this dominance that the lads have talked about is to build the kind of second iteration of his Liverpool team. And I always thought he'd be replacing, you know, let's say Mane and Salah because they've been bought by Madrid or Barcelona. But realistically, he's going to be replacing them because they're getting on a bit, and you know, there's there's younger players with a with a kind of bigger ceiling who who Liverpool need to recruit. Um, so yeah, I think he's he's just completely changed the picture of what Liverpool are and what they can achieve, and there's plenty more to come. Hopefully. Yeah,
1: I can't wait to see the player with the bigger ceiling than Mohamed Salah rocking up at Anfield. That is something to get very excited about. Before we go, though, let's talk about the the achievements and just how great they are, and whether it be individual matches, Barcelona, the Champions League after coming back and winning that, or or Gorsty the Premier League. This is the man who ended the wait. He goes down in Liverpool folklore forever. More no matter what comes next for Jürgen Klopp.
2: Oh no, no question. Um, he's up there with. Well, he's the best best Liverpool manager of the 21st century and I know a lot of fans have a certain soft spot for Rafa Benitez and, and maybe to a lesser extent Gerard Huliai, but this um, this is a man who's absolutely transformed Liverpool and got them to a level that they haven't been at since the, the 80s. Um, Liverpool are back, back there now and um, I'm obviously not old enough to remember some of those great sides, but I think, I think if you ask those who do, they... They might suggest that this team is, is, is the best of the lot, and that is some some claim, some accolade. And um, it'd be a healthy debate, wouldn't it? Either way, because um, you know, of all Liverpool's all-conquering teams, if they were better than this one, then you know they deserved every success that they had. So um, you can't really overstate the job that he's done, really, because Liverpool were tenth when he, he came in. The club on the knees in terms of confidence, as we say, they were a bit of a mess off the pitch as well, and. Um, really, it's just a, an incredible, remarkable job that that this football manager has done and he's had massive help along the way and he's the first to say that but he's had the foresight to kind of surround themselves with um, people who, who are experts in the field and they've and he got the best people in the in the big roles.
1: Yeah, certainly. Joe, he's he's brought the best players to the club. He's brought the best style of football. He's brought the best and the biggest trophies in the game to Anfield as well. And that night against Barcelona, does that sum it all up? Is that Anfield's greatest night that this man brought?
0: Yeah, I think it is. I, think, I don't think you can argue with that now. Um, it was the most, to me, it's the most unbelievable football comeback over two legs um, in in European history. Um I, you know, I think if you take into into account the magnitude of Liverpool's opponents, and you know the the, the defeat that they'd taken a, a week earlier, albeit playing very well, um, I just don't think you can argue that it. it was such an amazing night. Um, and it and it it sort of summed up everything what Klopp's team is a can be about. You know, the dominance at times, the the genius of the corner, the determination, um, players coming off the bench to play, play their role, in, like, like Wijnaldum. Um, and then, obviously, if you remember, Liverpool were without uh, most of their top stars. Um, you know the, the fact that Liverpool, as a squad, made it through that game. I think it just sums everything. Sums up everything that the top is about at Liverpool. Uh, everyone at the club pulling in the same direction to make sure that they achieve, and and that's what they did. Um, but you know, there's been some magical moments along the way. I, I think there are moments that we know they're easy to forget that were just a, just amazing at the time i always remember coutinho at old trafford uh in the second leg of um european tie there when united looked like they were trying to mount a comeback coutinho killing them off and it was, was a brilliant brilliant goal and you know i've seen a lot norwich early doors that was great love against dortmund and then further further down the line some of the goals in the champions league salah at, at man city the Oxide Chamberlain against Man City in the first leg, Salah against Roma. I mean, there's just so many. Um it, you know, there are so many moments that are easy to forget, and I think that says so much about how far Klopp's taken this team is that you know he's he's given us so many great memories already and it feels like there's gonna be more to come. Um you know, the only big shame now is I'd love to see fans back in the crowd to enjoy these memories properly. Um because the biggest the biggest and best memory of all winning the Premier League. Be all that to watch from home. So I hope they can win another one in front of fans because that would just really... Klopp would deserve that. I think the club deserves that. Um, and that's the, the biggest regret, I think, from Klopp's reign so far is of that moment without fans. So hopefully one day they can, they can do that. And
1: that seems to be a central point, Sean, as well, is the role that the supporters have played after Barcelona. Klopp, of course, acknowledged them. You said before, obviously, early doors, that defeat to Crystal Palace. He wasn't scared to call them out. The fans have been as much a part of this journey as the players and the transfers and the coaching staff and everything that we've mentioned.
3: Yeah, absolutely, and I think um, there's another side to that coin in terms of Klopp's alignment with with the fan base as well. Obviously, yeah, we, we've referred to examples where he's kind of tried to teach them a little lesson and direct them in certain ways that he think would be helpful to him and to the football club, and you know, that, and that's worked. But I just think some of the things he's done statements he's made kind of politically and when he's given his views on brexit when he obviously stuck it to the sun newspaper at that time and that in the press conference um i just think on a on a very human level he's he's connected with the fan base not, not just as a leader of the football club but but as a person and his morals his politics it all it all ties in but the thing that i always think back on in terms of like moments is that crazy little scene after kiev where he was he had a few scoops with his mates after the with his German punk band pals after, obviously, it hadn't gone well. He sang his little song and, I don't know, it just just spoke to me a little bit back because, you know, obviously he's a he's a very serious and ruthless man uh, uh, as a football man. But then as well, he's got this human side to him. And like like when he first came, he was pictured having a pint of the ciggy on Harbin Street when he was kind of settling into Liverpool and Liverpool life. So, yeah, I just think the, the guys have said it, but you'll be hard-pressed to find... A better football manager in the world, and you'd be hard pressed to find a a better man to to kind of sync with this city and and what the club's all about
1: yes yeah, certainly well that rounds us off for this celebratory anniversary edition of Jurgen Klopp. Five years of Jurgen. Let's hope for five more and maybe even more on top of that. Plenty of content across the Liverpool Echo. Do go over and check it all out as well as our content here on the Blood Red channel. But from myself, Guy Clark, Sean Bradbury, Joe Rimmer and our Liverpool correspondent, Tal Paul Gorst. Thanks for joining us here on Blood Red. It's bye for now.
3: You've been listening to the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo.